بسم الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد الصادق الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير وبعد الحمد لله This is the final module the, Sorry, the final class for module 5 which is covering the fiqh of salat and this has been the longest running module so far in our Farda'in program and that makes sense because there's a lot of details a lot of things to cover pertaining to the fiqh of prayer seeing as it is the thing that we do every single day five times a day at the bare minimum and usually more and tonight inshallah we finish this module and in the coming days I'll be sending out the test for those who are inclined to take the test and send me back the results and inshallah the test will probably be about as long as the test on tahara although we have nine sessions for this module I can't make the test cover every single issue because then it would be five six pages long so we've actually covered a lot of ground and from the beginning of this module until now we have covered all of the things you see here on this slide I won't even read them all out it's so long the conditions the cause conditions for validity pillars obligations sunnas uh, why there are differences in the various prayer postures the adab what invalidates the prayer things that are disliked allowed how you break the prayer and last week we covered the witr prayer the prayer of the musafir the traveler the emphasized sunnas and the prostration of forgetfulness now this last one was by far the most confusing because well it is confusing the way it is sometimes presented and looking back on the slides someone brought to my attention uh, one of the slides had a typo which made it read in a very confusing manner so what I decided to do was for us to review the Sajdatul Sahu and restructure it just a little bit to make it hopefully easier to understand and address the common occurrences that uh, would require one to make those two prostrations of forgetfulness after that inshallah we're going to talk about some miscellaneous issues that come towards the end of the Kitab al-Salat such as Sajdatul Tilawah the prostration of recitation when a person recites a verse that contains the mark for making the sajda making up the missed prayers Qadha and the Friday prayer the Eid prayers and the Janazah prayers so going to the hardest one first so that everything else just gets easier and easier progressively let's talk again about this prostration of forgetfulness remember this is Fardain we need to know how to do this to address deficiencies that may occur in our prayer when we forget things when we omit things or add things that we shouldn't add we have to know how to fix that so we from the slide last week we have here again if a person omits one or more of the wajibat meaning those things that are obligatory in prayer he or she must perform the two prostrations along with an extra tashahud and two salams so some of the common examples uh, number one performing an extra pillar if a person were to bow twice in a single rakah or make three sajdas in a single rakah that's performing an extra pillar that's adding to the prayer more than there should be or the more common example forgetting to recite the Fatiha or at least three verses or its equivalent after the Fatiha and probably the most common rising to the third rak'ah having forgotten to sit for the Tashahud so the person's in Sajda they should sit up and do the Tashahud but they forget 
and rise straight up for the third and they remember either on the way up or once they are fully standing that they didn't do the tashahud. That's probably the most common cause for this prostration of forgetfulness. Now, just to review how we do it, let's say you forgot and you realize you've forgotten. What do you do? Well, when you come to the end of your prayer, in that final sitting, you will re recite the tashahud as normal. You're going to give one salam to the right, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Make two sajdas, and then you'll sit again. And in that sitting, you're going to do the, the tashahud again, with the salawat again, and dua, and then you end with the full salams. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. This is as it's described in the Hanafi school. And there's some variations within the other schools, but this is what we're focusing on. So, some of the scenarios we talked about last week, they were presented maybe in a confusing manner. So, I elected to put them here in a Q&A format. So, let's look at the first question here. What should one do? if they begin to rise from sitting in the third rak'ah of a third or four rak'ah prayer and then realize they didn't sit for the tashahud. So you're in your sajda. You're supposed to rise from that and sit in the first tashahud. So that's your second rak'ah. And then you get up for your third. But instead of sitting for the tashahud, you forgot. And instead you began to rise. So if you realize this is happening, you should be returning to the sitting position. You should return, and that is wajib. You are required. It's an obligation for you to return to the sitting position as long as one has not stood up fully. If the knees were still bent when they remember this and they sit back down, so they're getting up and say they're positioning themselves, and they remember, they have enough time to catch themselves and go right back into tashahud. If they do that, they don't need to make the prostration of forgetfulness. However, if they, if you look at the sitting posture and the standing posture, and they are closer to being in a standing posture than a sitting posture, so they're rising, and if you took a snapshot, the moment they remembered they're closer to standing than they are sitting, what do they do? Well they will return to sitting because you need to do that but because they've gone that far up into a basic standing posture they will make the prostration of forgetfulness so think of it like this if your hands are say you're using your hands for support and your hands and your knees are going up but then you remember and go right back down no need to make the sajda if you're standing up without the aid of your hands and you're kind of quarter ways there and your knees are bent and you're still closer to the ground and you remember, go right back and there's no need to make the sajda. But once you're halfway up or further, well, you're not going to stand there and continue with the third rakah. You're still going to go back to sitting. However, in that case, because you've added this, you forgot the tashahud and you added this basic standing, you're going to go and do the prostration of forgetfulness. So, that's the first scenario. What should you do if you stand up going into a fifth rakah? So, it's the same kind of scenario. It's just, you're in the fourth rakah. You should be sitting for tashahud, but you forget. You rise from sajda, and instead of sitting, you go right back up. The same rule applies. If you catch yourself, go back, right? If as long as you didn't rise and pray, uh, you know, rukur and then sujood, then just do the sajda tusahu. Go back, finish it, and you're done. If you stand up all the way and you make rukur and you rise and make sajda and you realize all of this, what have you actually done? You've added a fifth rak'ah. You've added a fifth rak'ah. If you do the sajda in the fifth rak'ah, that fard prayer is actually invalidated. It is considered a kind of voluntary prayer. And because it's a fifth rak'ah, 
you want to add another rak'ah so that you even it out as a total of six. And then you're going to have to pray the over again. Now, I've, I don't know of anyone who's actually had that happen to them. But as we mentioned before, fiqh deals with so many scenarios. Basically, any possible human action, any mistake that could possibly occur has been dealt with in the books of law. The wildest scenarios you can imagine. Sometimes you read stuff in fiqh and you're just amazed. You're like, how could that happen? You know, scenarios like, you know, what if a person lost their limb and they touched it or the limb of someone else? You know, all sorts of wild stuff, but it's actually happened in history. So that scenario isn't so common for us. The most common one will be the first one. Now, what if you omitted something wajib in the prayer and you needed to make the sajda of forgetfulness, but you forgot to do it with ending the salat? So you're, you're praying, you're supposed to make the sajda to sahu because you forgot, say, the tashahud or you added something. You're supposed to do it, but you forgot. You gave the full salams. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And you realize, wait a minute, I forgot to do the two prostrations. What do you do? Well, there's a couple of scenarios here. If you did them on accident, and it wasn't a purposeful neglect, you can do them right after the prayer as long as you didn't do anything after the, the taslim that would it normally invalidate a prayer like eating drinking and talking to people and so on this is a person who prays they give the full salams and then some moments later without talking to anybody without eating or drinking just sitting there maybe they're doing dhikr and they realize wait a minute i didn't do the sajda and then they immediately do it so they go into the process they do it fully that person is fine if the person forgot to do the prostration of forgetfulness and they remembered it later within the prayer time it's gone on they've moved on and did other things in life they actually should redo the prayer now if a person totally forgets and you're talking days right do they need to redo the prayer not that I've encountered. But if it's within the prayer time, they should make that prayer up. If it's gone out, ma'fu, pardoned. Right? So this is the person who, they just forget. And maybe they went and talked to someone and they ate food and, you know, hours later, but it's still the prayer time. So they pray dhuhr at 1 o'clock and now it's 4.30 and they remembered. Well, they're going to redo that. Right? If the time goes out, they're not redoing the prayer. Now, the last scenario, and I think this is where the confusion was from the typo. What should one do if they think they finished a four rak'ah prayer? And after their salams, they realize that their sitting was in the second rak'ah and not the fourth. So you have to first picture this scenario, do the tasawwur. This person is, they think they prayed dhuhr as four rak'ahs. They give the salams, and as soon as they give the salams, they have that weird feeling. You, know, you, you ever had that feeling? Like you know something's off. Like it doesn't feel like I prayed the full prayer. So he thinks he prayed four, he go, gives the salams, and he realizes right then and there that that sitting in which he gave salams was the second rak'ah. That tashahud was the, sec the first sitting in a, in a four rak'ah prayer. So he didn't pray four rak'ahs, he actually prayed two. So what should he do in this scenario? He should complete that prayer by offering the two remaining rak'ahs, sit in the tashahud, give the salams, do the prostration of forgetfulness. So they're going to go back they're going to offer this, these two rak'ahs to make up for the deficiency. So they, they, they did, he, does, he does two, he has to do two more, and then do the prostration of forgetfulness. However, this is only possible if the person didn't do anything that would otherwise invalidate the prayer. Meaning, 
This is only allowed if the person prays two rak'ahs, gives salams, and realizes, oh, that was two and not four. You know, they realize in their, in their minds. And they get right up and they do it without talking to anybody, without eating, without drinking. They just do the two rak'ahs to finish that four rak'ah prayer. They do the sajda of forgetfulness, the two. Then they're fine. If they're eating or drinking or turning away and doing these other things, they're, they're praying over again. So, now th there's some differences am among the schools about this. But th that's basically what you're going to do. This sometimes happens with children as they're learning the ins and outs of prayer. They're forgetting four, two, right? And you'll often see kids as they're learning how to pray with their parents, they may be running behind. And I'm sure as parents, you've all seen this. You're praying dhuhr and your kid who's praying behind you joins a little bit late. They pray the last two rak'ahs of dhuhr behind you or the last two of isha behind you. You give salams and they give salams and for them the prayer is done too because they're just following you. Well, you have to tell your children without them talking. Just say, just get back up make two rak'ahs and then do the two prostrations you know teach them this and that's probably the earliest time a person will learn how to make the two prostrations of forgetfulness it's when they're omitting the two rak'ahs as children just following their parents following the father so that is basically it uh, there i mean there's some other issues now we talked about prostration of forgetfulness when a person is omitting something out of forgetfulness or they're, they're adding too much but sometimes the person is just in doubt about how many rak'ahs they've prayed so they, they can't identify something specific that they left out and they're unsure if they've added more than they should have they're just in doubt so this is related to how you make the prostration of forgetfulness but it's a scenario where one has a kind of 50-50 split and they don't have any inclination to one or the other during the prayer now there are some details in the Hanafi school about how this works uh, it can get com complex they say that the first time doubt ever occurs to you in your life when you're unsure of how many rak'ahs you've prayed the first time that happens in your life you have to just pray that prayer over again completely then they say after the first prayer after that first one where you had doubt if that doubt ever arises again then you have to base it on uh, reasonable surety and when you're in doubt you basically count from the minimum you do bina so let's look at that a little bit if a person is unable to reach a determination about the number of rak'ahs that remain they should build upon the prayer so you're standing you're not sure am i in the second rak'ah or the third if you have to choose between it being the second or the third you should default to assuming it's the second rak'ah and you build from that minimum this is called bina so you're building on that minimum so if it's two or three, two is your minimum, build on that. Don't assume it's three and just keep going and then end with four. Because maybe that four was a three, right? So this is called bina. You build on the minimum number of rak'ahs that you're certain to have performed. Like you know you did two, right? You're just not sure if you did three. So you operate from where you're sure, which is I'm sure I did two, I'm not sure if I did three. So you start from that minimum and build from there. Assume the lower number and perform. Here's where it gets confusing. You perform a sitting after each rak'ah because any of them could be an even rak'ah. What are you doing in the even rak'ahs? What do you do? You're doing the shahud. So you're not sure if that sitting is sitting for an odd rak'ah or an even rak'ah because you got confused you're in doubt you operated on the certainty that you prayed to 
you build on that minimum so you add as what you presume to be a third but that could have been a fourth rakah you don't know right because you're, you're in doubt so you're going to sit after each rakah because any of them can be an even rakah and then you're going to perform the prostrations of forgetfulness at the end this is one of those things where you should keep these notes handy if this ever happens to you and you forget you wonder, oh gosh, I was in the class, I, I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. Then, okay, don't talk to anybody, don't eat or drink. You know, maybe you could just look over at the open notes and remind yourself. Or better than that, just review this stuff every six months to a year so that these things are always fresh. That's, that's what the teachers, the ulama, usually recommend. They say we should review these things every six months to a year so they're fresh. Now let's give some examples. Um, let's take Zaid. So Zaid is standing in Dhuhr prayer, but he's confused. Is he in the third or the fourth rak'ah? He cannot reach a solid determination. What should he do? He should build upon the prayer and assume the lowest number, because he's certain that he prayed at least three. He's just uncertain if it's three or four where he's at right now. So he builds on the minimum, which is three. He should perform the tashahud in his sitting for that rak'ah and then get back up since it could be an even rak'ah. He should pray his fourth rak'ah and perform the tashahud during its sitting and then give sadabs and offer the prostration of forgetfulness. So I, hopefully this never happens to anybody, but if it does, there's this way of doing it. And yeah, that's a, that's a process, you know. In the, in the other schools, it's not that complex. It's basically, you build on what you, what you think it was, your most reasonable guess, make the prostration of forgetfulness at the end, and you don't have to do the tashahud in every sitting like that. You just keep going. You just build on what you think is most likely, and because you forgot, yeah. Yeah, this is one of those things. Yeah, so this is one of those things you have to read over and over again to get the image in your mind. So Zaid is he's in prayer. He's in his mind. He's not sure where he's at. He kind of, he looks like this guy. You know, for a moment there, he's trying to calculate, where am I? Now he knows that he at least prayed three, but he's unsure. Am I still in the third? Is this the third rakah that I'm still on? Or is this the fourth rakah? Right, so he knows there is a minimum, three. He's just not certain if he did more. So he's going to default to that lower number. He's going to assume the lower number, not the higher number. He's not going to say, um, I'll just guess that it's four, and then do tashahud and then end it. No, he's in doubt. And doubt, remember, is we doubt shek is when it's 50-50. Like you can't really determine if it's this or that. If you go 65% over here, and then you know 35% over there, that's not doubt. That's one, like you're just, you're inclining to this. We're talking about a person who really cannot determine if they did three or four. They know they did three as a minimum. They're just unsure if it's still three or have they done four. So they, def they just assume they're still at, third, at the third rakah. They go and do, I think in the scenario where it's confusing is probably the example using three and four. If you go to two, it's probably easier. Because if you say four, obviously you're ending at four, you're not doing five. So let's say he's in the second rakah, he's not sure, did I do two or three? Let's do that. Second rakah, he knows he's done two, he's not sure if he's done three. Assume he, he assumes he did two, but maybe he did three. Maybe, because he's unsure. If he did three, when he goes into sitting, 
he should do tashahud because that might be the sitting for the fourth rak'ah, right? But he's not sure. So he's going to do tashahud for that, get back up, do a rak'ah, do tashahud, and the prostration of forgetfulness. He's confused. Now, I'm relaying this uh, as the position in the Hanafi school. I, I, I personally find it very complex and confusing. It's, it's very unfamiliar and to my, to my Maliki ears, this is too much. You know, so my inclination is to say, either just pray over again if you're that confused, just start over from scratch, or just take the other position, which is build on what you know for certain and do your prostration of forgetfulness without doing any of this stuff. And as we talked about in module, I think it was module two, when we talked about the transmission of Islam, we talked a little bit about this about whether you have to stick to a single madhab legal school in every issue. It gets a little complex when you're mixing tahara and salat and things like that. There's some concerns that a person may mix them in an in a incorrect way. But the position of the majority is that if you take the position of another school and you follow that, and externally your act is, is valid and sound according to everybody, then there's no blame on you. So, you know, there are people who, this is just, this is just too much. They can't, they can't wrap their heads around it. Or they have lots of waswasa. They're always in doubt. And they're now confused about what they should be doing. For them, we would give them a ruling that is from another school that is more lenient so that they can offer their prayer in a consistent manner that is recognized as valid so that they can avoid scenarios that may uh, increase that waswasa, right? So if you're asking me, I would say, you know, default to something else, right? Yes. One lenient is that you just build on what you know. So you know, you're, you're not sure, did you do two or three? Well, you know you did two at least. So just operate on that principle and then just finish the prayer as if it was two and then make your prostration of forgetfulness, right? So you're not, you're not sure, but you know at least you did two. And you do nothing else but you continue the prayer, go into the third, go into the fourth, do your prostration of forgetfulness. And you don't have to do this sitting for the tashahud in every single sitting. So just kind of give that a miss. Of yes. One of them is from online. Uh, if, uh, if they are unsure if they did two sajdahs or one, they do a second sajdah just to be sure, similar to building. Yeah, you, you build. Yeah. And then they do the prostration of the um, Yes. Yeah, they just build. Um, this is when you've omitted a wajib. So it's, we're not just looking at missing tashahud. It's when in doubt about any wajib that you may have missed and you're not sure how many of them you've done. So tashahud, sitting in tashahud is a wajib. Sajda is a wajib. Rukur is a wajib. So that whole list of wajibat, if the person, if there's more than one and they're not sure if they did them fully or they did them partially, then it's the same process. They're just figuring out based on that minimum. The second question is regarding that scenario where you finished your prayer and now you're remembering that you have to, and that entails performing the, the prostration of forgetfulness. Right. So, so according to the Hanifi school, then you, how do you do that? Do you do this two sujood and then you finish with the tashahud and do, or... So after, so we're we talking about a person who forgot two rakahs, or they forgot just the the prostration of forgetfulness. They forgot the prostration of forgetfulness, and now they're finished. And in that scenario where you mentioned, they haven't talked or anything. Yeah, they go into the sitting to shahud, uh, salams. One salam, then do the. Yeah, so they go. They're going to sit. To do the tashahud and then do the 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 two sajdas tashahud salam. Yeah. Same process, right? Same process, yeah. Um, for Sunnah prayer, right? Uh, it's two sunnahs and then for Elijah and Fatima, just one, right? Is that correct? What do you mean? Because I was taught, like, 
Yeah, well, that's because that's the bare minimum wajib for salams is assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Right? Versus two. If you're talking about what is wajib, yeah. I mean, the wajib would be bare minimum assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. So, yeah, this is probably the most complex section in the whole fiqh of salat for what we've covered so far. And maybe it's a, the complication is a deterrent. It should say, we should say, well, let me, let me not forget. Let me focus in my prayer so this doesn't happen. Okay, so now we're done with all of that, inshallah. And we move now to easier stuff. Among the things that are fardain that we should know is sujood at-tilawa, the prostration of recitation. And we say it's fardain because to make that prostration of recitation is wajib. So that means we need to know how it works and how we do it. It's wajib, however, you can delay it. It's not, it doesn't have the same immediacy as sajda inside of a prayer. Because this is when a verse among the verses of sajda are recited. There's some leniency and there's some, you can, you have time to hear that between hearing that and actually making the sajda in response to hearing it. Provided the verse is not recited inside of salat. Right? So if you're in salat, then obviously you're not delaying. You're going to do the sajda. But if you're outside of the salat and you recite it or you hear someone else recite it, you don't have to do it right then and there. You, you have some leeway. And it's wajib for you to make that sajda when, when you or someone else recites that verse of sajda, even if you don't have wudu. But or even if you don't have uh, full tahara, you, you're, you have janaba. However, if you're in a state of major ritual impurity or you don't have wudu, you have to do the sajda after you've made yourself pure. The exception would be a child or a woman during her menstruation or her nifas after birth. So let's say you're at home and the verse is recited and you don't have wudu. Well, you should go make wudu, and you should make that sajda of uh, the sajda of tilawa. And the ulama say that it is makru tahrimi, it's prohibitively disliked, to skip or avoid a verse of prostration and instead recite the rest of the chapter. They're saying it's, it's makru tahrimi, basically haram. For you, when reading from the Qur'an to read the page that has the verse of sajda and skip over the verse and go somewhere else on the page just to avoid having to make the sajda of tilawa. Like this is unlawful. Now, if the verse is recited in salat, then the sajda in salat is wajib and is considered a part of the prayer itself. So you wouldn't, you, you couldn't perform it after the prayer. It becomes a part of the prayer itself. Whereas if you're hearing it outside of salat, you have a little bit of leeway and you can do it if you need to go make wudu or whatever. But in salat, you have to do it in the prayer. It's a part of the prayer process. And you wouldn't recite a verse of sajda in prayer omit the sajda and then do it after your taslim. You wouldn't do it that way. And the condition for it being wajib for you to make the sajda of, of recitation is if you hear the verse. If a person heard the imam recite a verse of sajda, but he missed that rak'ah and joined afterwards, he must perform his own sajdatut tilawa. This is in the following scenario. You come into the musalla, they're already in prayer. Uh, 
as you're walking in, the Imam recites a verse of sajda, and they go into sajda. And whether you caught that rak'ah or not, you still miss the sajda of tilawah. But you heard the verse. In that scenario, you're going to do your own sajda of tilawah at the end of the prayer. So this is something unique. And this shows you the seriousness given to the sajda of tilawah by the fuqaha. Because it is a command by Allah Ta'ala to make that sajda. And you do it even if you were joining the prayer slightly late after the imam recited it. Because you heard it, hearing it is that condition for wujub, for obligation, when you hear it. Of course, there are some exceptions here. You know, if you're uh, reciting, uh, memorizing a verse, uh, someone's repeating it over and over in order to uh, review it. If you're memorizing it or you're reviewing a chapter that has a verse of sajda, you do one sajda and you don't have to repeat it every single time you recite the verse. One sajda is sufficient when you're repeating the verse, but you have to do it once. Now, the sabab, the legal cause for this sajda of recitation, is any of the 14 verses found in the chapters Al-A'raf, Al-Ra'ad, Al-Nahl, Al-Isra, Maryam, uh, Hajj, not Hajj, Hajj, Furqan, Naml, Sajda, Sad, Fussilat, Najm, Inshiqaq, and Alaq. And most of you know this already, it's pretty basic. You can identify the verse of Sajda from that little mark you see in the picture. It looks like a little prayer niche inside of a prayer rug. That, when you read that, you would stop there and make the sajda and then continue on to the next verse. That's the ayah of sajda. And there are 14 that are spaced out through different chapters of the Qur'an. And this is wajib to do. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. This is the Hanafi school. Yeah. And the second question is, what if I don't recognize uh, one of the verses of Sajda when I walk in and Imam is reciting? Uh, in case I don't recognize that verse being a verse of Sajda. Uh, if I find out later, then I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, there's some discussion about that. If you don't know and you find out later, you do it. Um, it's If a person is noticing that the Imam is going to Sajda, seemingly randomly that actually happened to me when I, I was a brand new Muslim and it was like one of my f my first Ramadan my first ever Ramadan in the masjid they're reading and I, I, th I had prayed a few rakahs and then I'm out getting some tea or something and then all of a sudden they go into sajda and that totally confused me because I'd, I'd never even heard of the issue before brand new Muslim so I asked someone so what's going on here why do they just randomly go into sajda and then they explained it's because of there's these verses and once you learn how to recognize them uh, the most common ones you'll hear tend to be in shiqaq and alaq right and then there's others so it there in the Hanafi school it's actually very strict it's so strict in the Hanafi school with sajda tilawa they even say that you have to make sajda if you hear the translation of the verse so someone says the translation of Surah Alaq, I, I'm not even going to recite it or the translation because I put you, I'll put you all on the spot. But they said, some of the fuqaha said, even if the translation of the verse of sajda was recited to someone and they understand it, they would, make, they would need to make sajda. Because you're responding to the meaning of something that is within the divine speech ordering sajda. That's how seriously they took it. So. Another last question. Sure. Uh, can we do that uh, in Hanafi school during the uh, time when we can't break the Makruhat? The Makruhat, let's say after. Yeah, I think that's the exception. 
I, I'm not sure if they mentioned doing it after. Um, I, I, the, I don't recall. Um, like you don't do it, you generally don't do anything in the prohibited times. So this would be included in that. The only thing I don't recall is whether you're doing it afterwards. I'd have to check. I don't know. Yeah. Ahlul Mecca adra bi shi'abiha. Yeah. In your own salah, if you come into the masjid and the imam did it, and you missed it. Yeah. You 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 heard the verse, so you need to do it. It's just because you weren't with the imam doing it with him, you missed that. But you still will do it at the end of your own prayer. Yeah, I don't recall how they explained it. Um, whether if you're standing up or anything, but you're doing it on your own. Yeah, presumably, because, I mean, the question is, did you miss a rakah or not behind the imam? If you didn't, it will be your own thing. And if you, if you miss rakahs, well, you're getting up on your own, so you're kind of on your own. Yeah, I don't know how exactly that looks, but... If he's just outside of the salat and he's not praying, say he prayed elsewhere and he's just coming by, he still does it. He still does it. Because again, the, the sabab of wujub, the, the, the cause of obligation is hearing it. Whether he's hearing it from himself as he recites or he hears it from someone else. It's, whether it's from the imam or himself, he's going to do that. Are you talking about someone who's, let's say they've already prayed? Yeah. Well, they've already prayed. So if they hear the imam recite a verse of sajda, they don't have to join the prayer to do that. They can do their own sajda of tilawa because they're responding to hearing the verse. So they're responding whether it's an imam or themselves reading, they're doing that sajda. Yeah. So you just like make the intention? Right. Make the intention, do the sajda, and you get back up. And you're done. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't heard that scenario. Uh, I don't want to give you a guesstimate, but in scenarios where you need to make such that, and you're on a, in a vehicle, you can make the the inclination going downwards. I just haven't heard that that question explored. So, Allah alam. Yeah, you could delay it, so, yeah. But you could be on a long road trip, so. Well, if you're on a plane, for example. Yeah, a plane. You do salam. Yeah. I don't think you have to, but you do the sajda and you, you close that. It's two sajda, right? Two or one? Yeah, one. So we talk about the prostration of forgetfulness. We say in Arabic, Sajdatay or Sajdata Asahu, the two prostrations of forgetfulness. Here it's Sujood Tilawa or, or Sajdatu Tilawa, it's a, it's a single Sajda. Yeah. Okay. Now we come up to something that's incredibly important to many, many of us, and that is Qada, making up misprayers. So there's basically two scenarios. Uh, yeah, maybe we could think of more, but there's two main scenarios. Scenario one is the person has missed prayers that were owed today, some last night. It's it's within a day or part of a day, it, but they're they're the prayers from the previous times. Like say it's Maghrib now and. The person missed Asr and Dhuhr and Fajr. You have that scenario. Prayers that have to be made up. Or the person coming from work and they decide they're going to pray Dhuhr, Asr and Maghrib all at Isha time after they get home. Well, that's not allowed. But if they did, that would be Qada. That's the first scenario we'll talk about. The second scenario, which I want to 
focus on a little bit is a person who hits puberty so they're morally accountable salat is farud on them five daily prayers but they're 12 years old they're 13 years old they're 14 and they pray sometimes and they forget other times and they get lazy at other times and maybe they go through a span of time in their their teenage years and their early 20s where they're not taking salat seriously and maybe they have one two three or even more years where they have a lot of missed prayers and Allah guides them and strengthens them and they come to take the prayer seriously again and they recommit to their deen and they're praying all their prayers their current prayers on time but they have a lot of prayers from the years back then this is a very familiar scenario to a lot of people because a lot of people they don't snap out of it and come to that consciousness sometimes until they're in their mid-twenties, late-twenties, thirties, sometimes even longer. So, and everyone has their struggle. So we need to talk about what that kind of person should do if they have lots of prayers to make up. Now the Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith, uh, and this was in the context of zakat, but he said in this hadith, Dainullahi ahaqu an yuqlaa The debt of Allah has more right to be paid. And though this was said in the context of zakat, the ulama extrapolate from this hadith that any debt owed to Allah has more right to be paid. And salat is one such debt because he has ordered us to offer these prayers and pray establishing the salat. Now, it is the position of all four Sunni schools of jurisprudence the Hanafi, Maliki, Shafi'i and Hanbali school and even others that it is obligatory to make up all missed prayers regardless of why they were missed whether they were missed out of forgetfulness or laziness no matter the cause of, of neglecting them they have to be made up and Imam al-Nawawi, he says in his uh, Al-Majmu' Sharh al-Muhaddab, there is an ijma' consensus among the scholars whose opinion counts that whoever leaves a prayer intentionally must make it up. Among the proofs for the obligation to make up is that if make-up prayers are obligatory for the one who left the prayer forgetfully, then doing so for the one who left the prayer deliberately is more obviously incumbent. So, to simplify that, if we know it's wajib to make up prayers we missed forgetfully, person forgot to pray fajr. Does that mean, oh, they forgot, whoops, and they can continue with their day? No, they got to make it up. If you have to make up the prayer that you forgot forgetfully, فَمِنْ babi awla, Even more so, the one you forgot, you didn't forget, but you left intentionally out of just neglect, <laughs> neglecting the prayer. Now, one of those is a sin and the other one isn't. Right? If a person genuinely forgets to pray, then... The pin is lifted, they, they forgot. They just make up the prayer. But if a person knows it's the time of a prayer and they intentionally neglect it until the time goes out, this is a kabira among the kabair. It is a major sin. And that person has to make up that prayer and make tawbah for missing the prayer. So there's actually a couple of things they have to do. Now, the way we do that needs to be discussed. There's a few details. Nothing as complicated as what we just talked about, but a couple of things to discuss. Let's go back to that first scenario. This person, uh, they got up for work. They prayed Fajr on time. They get to work. 
they didn't pray Dhuhr, they didn't pray Asr, Maghrib is while they're on the highway, and they get home at Isha time, and they decide, I'm going to pray Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, and Isha back to back, and then go to bed. Number one, that's not allowed. You have to find a way to offer your prayers on time. It's not allowed for a person to purposely allow those prayers to enter and exit without praying them. But if that happens, whether it's done purposely, which is sinful, or forgetfully, they still have to make them up. So if they have to make up prayers in that scenario, it is wajib on them to maintain the proper order. So let's say they're getting home. What time, what time are they getting home? Isha time. So the current prayer is Isha. Does that mean they can pray Isha and then do the makeups? No. They have to maintain the proper order. So when they get home, they're going to have to pray Dhuhr first, then Asr, then Maghrib, and then the current Isha, which is in right now. They wouldn't be praying Isha first, which is current, and then going for the others afterwards. You have to maintain the same order that they occur in the day and the night. However, there are some situations where you don't have to follow the order. So they, they mentioned three. Let's say the person, they missed Isha, they, they fell asleep, forgot to pray Isha. Not sinful, they just forgot, they fell asleep. And they wake up at Fajr time, but Fajr is almost out. They have just a few minutes before sunrise. Now, they missed Isha, so they should be praying Isha before Fajr because they missed it. But if they pray that Isha then and there, what's going to happen to Fajr? The time will run out. So they'll end up praying Fajr after sunrise. So in that scenario, if the current prayer time is about to run out, you pray that and then you, you'll do your qada when you can do your qada after. So you pray the current prayer and then you make up the missed prayer after, even though the order is a little bit off. Second scenario is if one has forgotten that he's missed prayers and therefore he prayed the current prayer, he doesn't have to make up the current prayer upon remembering his missed prayer. So this would be, okay, uh, let's say he woke up late and missed Fajr. It's, you know, late summer night, he went to bed too late, he didn't set his alarm, he wakes up and it's sunrise. And, but he forgot, he, he, he's totally slipped his mind that he even missed Fajr. And then it's Dhuhr time. So he prays Dhuhr, and only after praying Dhuhr did he remember that he missed Fajr. He completely forgot. He prays Dhuhr, and then he remembers he didn't wake up for Fajr. In this case, all he has to do is pray the Fajr as a Qada. He doesn't have to go back and do Dhuhr over again, right? Because Fajr comes before Dhuhr. So he's not going to say, uh, I'll pray Fajr as Qada, and because i got to keep the order, I'll pray Dhuhr after. No, in this case, he's excused, because he forgot, and he didn't remember that until after he prayed that Dhuhr already. But let's say he, it's Dhuhr time, and he missed Fajr, but he hasn't yet prayed Dhuhr. What's he going to do then? He's going to pray Fajr and then Dhuhr, right? He has to keep the order. So this is after you've prayed the Dhuhr and you forgot that you missed the Fajr. The last example where you don't have to keep the order goes back to the scenario we were talking about, the second one, where a person has lots of Qadha to make up. If the number of missed prayers, excluding Witr, are six or more, you don't have to maintain the exact order. So for example, if a person has two years worth of Qadha, they don't have to maintain that order. That wouldn't even be possible. You don't even have to specify the month or the day or the week. You just, you just make open-ended qada intending for all of those days of the two years of misprayer, right? 
Now, let's say it's less than two years. The minimum where the order isn't required is uh, six or more, excluding witr. So we exclude witr from that. So that would be not just a person missing Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, and Isha, but the next Fajr, or going back some other Salah. So that's a day and then one prayer. So that we're not including witr here. So let's look at a person who has a significant amount of qadha to do. There's actually apps you can find online. You can go to the app store and download an app that helps you calculate and keep track of your qadha. You can put an entry for every prayer. Now, the way you're going to do the qadha, you just need to make an intention for the individual prayer that you're making up. You don't need to specify the exact prayer on which day. You're not going to say, this is Dhuhr from January of 20, January 1st, 2020. It's not even possible, really. Right? You just make a general intention and say, I have this many prayers missed in two years. I calculate five times 365. And then that gives me this many dhuhrs, this many asrs. And you just make the intention of qada for dhuhr, qada for asr, until you finish all those qada, getting them. So if, if you're doing that kind of qada, like heavy numbers, the ulama mentioned a couple of different ways of facilitating it. So one approach is that you should try to get them done as soon as you can. So this means you would actually take any and every valid shortcut, even if you're leaving certain sunnah actions, such as doing one tasbih, subhanahu rabbi al-azim, or subhanahu rabbi al-a'la, once instead of three times, to shorten it. That's one approach. So some scholars say, remove everything that you can remove that but while, you're, while your prayer is still valid, it, so that you can do it faster while it's still valid, and therefore more. Because they say the priority is to finish them as soon as possible. This is one approach. The other approach is to pray them relatively quickly, but keep all those confirmed sunnas. So you're going to keep everything you normally keep, but... You know, you're not going to read a long chapter after the Fatiha. You could read three verses, something very brief, go into Rukur, bare minimum, but within the confirmed sunnas, so that you're maintaining all of these things. Now, the approach of many of the teachers from whom I've taken is that the second way is superior. And you'll hear this from a lot of mashayikh. They mention both approaches. And yes, there are some who prefer the first one, but many, many of them, they prefer the second approach over the first. Because when you look at it, the makeup prayer and the current prayer are both prayers offered to your Creator. And both may be either accepted or rejected. They're either maqbul or mardud, right? So, whether you're making up many years of missed prayers or offering current prayers, regardless, you should do them in a way that is pleasing to Allah Ta'ala, even if one is going to be quicker than the other because you have so many. So you're still trying to maintain some modicum of ihsan in what you do. You're just going a little faster to facilitate doing more so that you can get this done because you don't want to have lots and lots of qada on your account and something happens and you die. But what happens if you die? Let's say a person has those two years or more. They have genuinely repented from the sin of neglecting prayer. They have genuine remorse. They have a genuine resolve. And that resolve is proven by them being consistent in their daily prayers. And they're making an effort and to make up the prayers. They have a schedule. They're strict with their schedule. They're consistent with it. But if they've done all of that and they die before they make up all of those prayers, they've made the tawbah and they've made the effort. And inshallah, 
Allah will forgive them. In fact, the mashayikh, they don't even say insha'Allah. They say Allah will forgive them. Because that's the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That if you have made mistakes, and you repent from those mistakes, and you're trying to rectify them, if you die before it's fully rectified, you still have the promise of forgiveness. Just like the man who murdered 99 people and then completed with 100, he, a part of his tawbah was to make hijrah from that town he was in and go to another area where the people were better. Did he make it to that town? He didn't. In fact, he was closer to the evil city. So the angels of punishment considered that he was closer and said he should be punished. The angels of mercy said, no, he was trying his best. And Allah Ta'ala told them to measure the distance between the evil town and the good town. And he was closer to the bad town, but Allah caused the earth to fold up such that when the angels measured it, it appeared that he was closer to the good town. Now the point of that hadith is he was trying his best to rectify something, even if he didn't fully get there. So if a person has that kind of uh, struggle, and they make a commitment, and they're consistently trying to knock the qada prayers out properly, and death overtakes them, they were trying their best. They're trying their best, and Allah will forgive them. Now, some strategies, and these types of strategies aren't really mentioned in the books of fiqh, they're more of ideas and suggestions of how to get them done in an efficient manner. Uh, one of the things the ulama say is when if a person has lots of qada, they need to be careful about how they prioritize things. That means that, you know, it's probably not the time for you to just be going on a vacation and just chilling. Because you got things to do. You have qada. That should be a focus. On the practical side, one of the ways of doing qada effectively is to pray a qada. You could do this in a few different ways. You can do a qada of fajr at fajr time. Then the current fajr. Qada of dhuhr at dhuhr time and then the current dhuhr. So you pray your qada in line with the current prayer. So for every fajr, you're, you're doing a couple of qada before that fajr. For every dhuhr, you can do a couple of, uh, of qada of dhuhr, in this case before and after if you want, uh, and the same for the rest of the prayers. And some of the ulama suggest trying to do at least, uh, if you could even do five at the time of each salat, if you have that kind of time. So you're doing qada for one day of prayer before fajr. Qada before dhuhr, five days. So if you do in a day of prayer, five daily prayers, you've also done how many days of qada? One, two, three, four, five, five days. And in this way, you can get a lot done. That is time consuming. And this is much more preferable for a person to do what is sustainable and manageable that they can do consistently. And so doing one with each current prayer is usually the ideal way of knocking them out and getting them done. And you know, may Allah make it easy for those who have that. It is a commitment, but it's also a way of, of expressing your own sincerity to your Lord when you do these things. And inshallah, we will move on. Now, looking at the time, we're actually past the time, aren't we? Right. right. Not yeah. the sunnah. No, no. Uh, in the Hanafi school, there is qada for, for, for witr as well. Uh, right? Because but, but witr is wajib. And, and this is one of those scenarios where, you know, we don't want to hunt and just look for the easy ways out. But if a person was dealing with a lot of years of qada, uh, I would suggest that they take the position of uh, the other three schools and not do the qada of the witr. If a person uh, is really committed to being very strict and consistent in the way everything is structured and they want to follow one school and everything, then there's qada for the witr as well. Yeah. Is it advisable to use uh, sunnahs in the uh, Well, in the Hanafi schools, <laughs> 
tricky. In the other schools, yes, but in, in the Hanafi school, those are still highly emphasized sunnahs that need to be maintained as well. And there's no qada for them, but they, the current ones we've maintained. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, if you miss the Fajr prayer, right? And currently it's like 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. So you have to pray, I mean, you have to pray the Sunnah and then the Fajr because you caught like before midday. It has gone by midday and you don't have to pray the Fajr. Uh, that, that point doesn't have any basis for um, it. I mean, it's, it sounds like what I've come across that you're. you're Praying it because I mean that sunnah is not wajib but is highly emphasized and shouldn't be neglected. So one would be praying that along with that prayer. Yeah, you you do make up for that. Yeah. So I thought that this would be the final class, but we still have Jumrah and Eid and Janazah. These are very easy, but maybe what we can do if you're all up for it next Friday night, we can finish with Jumu'ah, Eid and Janazah, and then use the rest of the time for a kind of open Q&A because you mentioned some questions and you could think of, of scenarios or things you've encountered and we can kind of address those. Use that as an opportunity to review a bit and I'll prepare all of these slides into a single PDF for study and then after that class, hopefully I'll have the test prepared as well and just send it straight out. If you're okay with that, that would be one extra day to get ready. Insha'Allah. Tayyib. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi wa sallam.